Welcome back to Rivalries on the WWE podcast on this Friday, January 21st, as we are just one week away, eight days rather, by the time most of you guys will be listening to this, seven days away from the Royal Rumble, as we got to get used to these premier live events coming in on Saturdays, and I'm still kind of indifferent to the idea, not sure if I like it or hate it. I will tell you though that I probably would have been way more ecstatic about it 20 odd years or so ago. Because when I was a kid, it was always just a fight to let my let my mom agree to have me stay up to watch pay-per-views on Sundays or Monday Night Raw on Mondays. And I'm sure many of you have or are currently going through situations similar to that. But as always, you're not here to talk about your bedtimes. You are here to listen to rivalries. And this week, we are going back for a rivalry that... I really cannot believe that I haven't covered, to be quite honest with you. And much like last week when I covered Orton versus Triple H, this rivalry is not only a rivalry, but also a relationship and a story. And one of which that, unless you have three, four, five hours set aside, you will not be able to cover every single corner of it. And that is for Kane versus The Undertaker. And look... Again, much like Orton versus Triple H, Kane versus The Undertaker is much more so than just a rivalry. It's arguably, in the words of Kane, the best story WWE has ever told. It is the story of basically two brothers who stuck together on a storyline basis, of course. We know that Glenn Jacobs and Mark Calloway are not actually brothers in real life. But they stuck together in that same gimmick and the brother angle all the way until 2018 when they came back against Degeneration X and the infamous tag team match at Crown Jewel. And it is crazy to think about that these two had a 21 year long run together in in ring competition in some way, some form or fashion. Now, obviously, they were separated for years at times. You know, in the brand extension era, Kane was almost exclusively on Raw in the early years, and Undertaker never came over to Monday Night Raw. He was always on SmackDown, aside from the first couple months of the brand split era in the summer of 2002. Kane eventually made his way back to SmackDown, and then that's kind of like when we got this uh, this rivalry rekindled a bit in the later 2000s but we're getting way too ahead of ourselves let's go back to when this started and when it started was with the undertaker because the undertaker had been around for quite some time before kane even was a twinkle in the eye of vince mcmahon or creative you know the undertaker debuts at survivor series in 1990 
and has a very, I guess not historic run during the 90s, but a very polarizing one. I think that for someone like myself, who was not the biggest Undertaker fan, at some times I found him downright unwatchable in the early years because his character was so hokey. But the thing about The Undertaker is that he was able to take the hokiest of hokey all characters and make it work and turn himself into arguably the greatest wrestler of all time. And I think that anyone who does a Mount Rushmore of WWE would have The Undertaker firmly on Mount Rushmore. And even for someone like myself, who really is not a huge Undertaker guy, in an objective manner of speaking... The Undertaker is undisputedly on my Mount Rushmore. And for what it's worth, I might as well give the other guys. It would be Taker, Hogan, Austin, Cena. And that's coming from a huge Rock fan, but that's neither here nor there. So Taker has a run in the WWF at the time in the 90s that eventually leads him into the WWF championship picture. And his first championship, I believe, coming at WrestleMania 13 when he defeats Sid Vicious for the title. Kind of a weird year when um, the Royal Rumble winner did not main event WrestleMania for the championship. I can't remember exactly what happened at that time. I believe Stone Cold Steve Austin actually won the Royal Rumble in 1997. And then he ended up going on to face Bret Hart at WrestleMania 13. So I can't, I don't really know exactly how... It led to Taker versus Sid Vicious, or I believe at that time it was just Sid, or Psycho Sid. It was some variation of Sid at that time, uh, and Taker winning the championship. And over the course of that year in 1997, Taker stayed firmly in the WWF championship picture. And it ultimately leads to the bad blood match against Shawn Michaels, who was the leader of Degeneration X at the time, in the first ever Hell in a Cell match. And it was in this match that the life of The Undertaker in the WWF would change forever.
So, the first time we ever see Kane is him ripping the door off of the cell and breaking himself in and ultimately tombstoning The Undertaker, leading Shawn Michaels to retaining his championship. And there was something that Jim Ross said in there, and how weird is that with Mr. McMahon doing the play-by-play and Jim Ross kind of as the color commentator, kind of a weird dynamic there, but it actually worked well. Um... So getting back on track here, Jim Ross says that he's the same size as The Undertaker, or he's bigger than The Undertaker. And I think that is a very, very important thing that Jim Ross said. Because at this point in time, there was no man that could stand up to The Undertaker. Which is weird to say because Vince always loved his super big men. And he always wanted big guys. And we've seen over the years, or even now, like a guy like Omos and the push that he's getting. Or before Braun Strowman. But at this time, Big Show wasn't even in the WWE yet. Kevin Nash had def- had defected to WCW. A monster like Giant Gonzalez, who Taker had actually had his own run-in with, was not in the WWF at this time. So Taker was far and away the biggest man in WWE, at least in a somewhat main event capacity. Maybe you had a guy like Mabel, aka Visra, but he was never going to step up to The Undertaker. But having a guy like Kane come in and go face-to-face with Taker instantly changed the landscape of WWF. And it right away catapulted this program almost to the top of the ladder in terms of importance in the WWF landscape because over the proceed or over the the course of the next few months we had you know Paul Bearer exposing the story about what happened burning down the family funeral home that Taker did and getting caught inside the fire and you know we realized that Kane is back with a vengeance and I always kind of related it to the story of Michael Myers in Halloween, you know, a guy who was coming back for his sibling after being wrongly done years, if not decades later. And, you know, you have The Undertaker and Kane have this long drawn out program all the way until WrestleMania 14. And that this included, you know, Kane setting the, co- the coffin on fire with Taker in it. Kane duping The Undertaker into thinking that they were actually going to align and they do the salute to one another with Kane at the top of the ramp and Taker in the ring. And then eventually culminating at the WrestleMania 14 and Undertaker obviously gets the win. And aside from that, there was the Inferno match that they had. The Inferno match between the two that saw Kane get set on fire, at least on his arm. And that match actually took place after WrestleMania 14 in somewhat of a rematch. I believe it was in late April of 1998. And then eventually this program and rivalry would go dormant a bit. Especially in 1999 when The Undertaker transitioned into the Ministry of Darkness uh, phase of his career. An underrated run. You know, him as a heel as the WWF champion. He had his program with Stone Cold Steve Austin. I believe they clashed. It was SummerSlam 1998. And if I'm not mistaken, that whole summer of 98 and his program with Austin is what kind of really 
transitioned him and fast-tracked him into the whole Ministry of Darkness era. And while he was doing this, Kane kind of find him, found himself back in the mid-card. He had a program with X-Pac and Terry and that whole, that whole uh, I guess, forgotten type of angle that they went down with Kane while The Undertaker was off doing bigger and better things in a lot of ways. And then The Undertaker gets hurt and misses almost a year due to injury. And when he comes back in May of 2000, he's a completely reinvented gimmick. And this is when you had the new version, the American badass of the version of The Undertaker. And while Undertaker was gone, you kind of had Kane take that take the baton in a lot of ways as the new monster in town yeah the big show was around he had been involved in the main event of wrestlemania 16 in the fatal four-way match with rock mcfoley and triple h for the wwf championship but kane really kind of stepped up in like the the cool monster with the undertaker out like i will for all i will always remember when kane uh, came out to make the save for I believe it was the Rock and Too Cool getting beaten up by Degeneration X and the McMahon Helmsley regime, and he comes in and just choke slams everyone to hell. Stephanie McMahon on commentary just freaking out, and Kane I found really came into his own in the Undertaker's absence in late 1999, early 2000, and it gave cha- uh, Kane the chance to kind of blaze his own trail because it seemed that before that whenever he wasn't you know saddled to the undertaker Kane would always just get lost in the shuffle but with the undertaker gone and Kane sticking around it seemed as though that Kane really took it upon himself to cement himself as a legitimate player in the wwf he won the championship once, which is really a shame. I believe that was in 1999 in the first blood match with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Only held it for a day. And before we go any further, how crazy is it? How crazy is it that Kane only held the WWF championship once for one day? Like, I know that he won the World Heavyweight title and the ECW World Championship, but the WWE Championship, the most important championship with the most lineage in the history of the company, arguably in the history of professional wrestling, and a character like Kane, one of the most polarizing and captivating characters that was an integral part of arguably the best story the WWE has ever told, only held that title for 24 hours. But I digress. When Taker returns, it results in a six-man tag team match with Taker and Kane and The Rock versus Shane McMahon, Vince McMahon, and Triple H for the WWF Championship. And in this match, Triple H, the champion, would lose his title for any other um, any guy on the opposing team who scored the pinfall. So as you can imagine, even though they were on the same team, there was a lot of friction going on with The Rock and Taker and Kane. And in this match, it came the blows with all three men, specifically Kane and Taker outside. And while this was going on, it led to The Rock capturing the WWF Championship. And this is what led to one of, I believe, the least talked about matches in the history of Kane and The Undertaker. And that was their clash at SummerSlam 2000. Not a long match, but a significant match. 
Because something happened at the end of that match that would eventually also happen in 2003. And you guessed it, that was Kane getting his mask taken off by The Undertaker. And reviewing this back, I don't even think this match officially started, which was crazy. Just an all-out kind of brawl between Kane and Undertaker. And at the end of the match, Kane's mask does get ripped off by Taker. Although you really don't see Kane's face underneath all the hair and whatnot. And uh, they keep it pretty hidden. But it was a pretty cool culmination of this mini reignition of their rivalry. And then once again, the rivalry goes dormant. But this is when they form Brothers of Destruction in late 2000 and all of 2001. And a really good run, I think. It, this was arguably the best part of their entire story, program, rivalry, however you want to phrase it. I really liked the entire era of the Brothers of Destruction. That entire run was great. I thought it was Kane's best look for whatever, for whatever that counts for. But I thought that it was something that also... It, it made The Undertaker seem a bit badass too. Because when he came back as the American badass, it was kind of an adjustment period. There's like, okay, are we behind this guy? Kid Rock is doing his theme song. Like, are we really ready to accept The American badass? But putting Kane by his side, it added a whole new dimension to that character. And with Kane, it also kind of humanized him a bit. Because this is kind of when he just kind of broke away from the rogue monster and really kind of developed kind of a character. He started talking more on the mic during this time and he felt like he had a purpose with Taker. A lot of times in the early years of Kane, it's like you didn't really know if he had a purpose. You know, Paul Barrow's with him, then he wasn't with him, then he was back with him, then he was in love with Terry and then it's kind of all over the place. But when he got put with the Brothers of Destruction, it's almost like they became like the watchdogs of the WWF. And, you know, I've played that clip on several of these shows where they come out and put a stop to the two-man power trip. Well, at least temporarily, where they make the save on Lita. Or then they were part of Team WWF at the Invasion pay-per-view. They were both on Team WWF at Survivor Series 2001. Uh, team WWF versus Team Alliance. They won the, the unified tag team championships together. I think that was the only time that Taker won tag team titles, if I'm not mistaken. Or No, I believe he won them with the big show as well, and maybe Mankind. But more, that may have been the most recent tag team title victory for Undertaker was with Kane in 2001. But in 2002, they split off again. Taker has the brief heel run as Big Evil. And once again, Kane kind of gets lost in the shuffle here. And this was an early theme in Kane's career is that when The Undertaker wasn't in the mix, he often got lost in obscurity. And it's a shame because Kane could have had such a better run than he had. He's arguably the most polarizing character that they've ever trotted out there the longevity of his character and just him as a performer in the ring is almost unmatched debuts in 1997 as Kane as we know he had two other prior gimmicks Isaac Yankum and Fate Diesel and he was a full-time competitor till all the way in 2016 I want to say maybe 2017 he was still kicking around so that was a north of 20 years of near full-time wrestling for Kane but in the early years, 
whenever the undertaker wasn't around he never really had much to do and you could see that by even his wrestlemania track record like obviously his first mania he goes one-on-one with the undertaker iconic because it's undertaker at a wrestlemania WrestleMania 15, he goes one-on-one with X-Pac and loses. WrestleMania 16, he's in a tag team match with Rikishi against D-Generation X. And during this whole angle of 14, 15, 16, that's when he had the run-on thing with Pete Rose. Tombstoning or choke-slamming Pete Rose at WrestleMania. He did that three consecutive years in 14, 15, and 16. WrestleMania 17, he's in a triple threat hardcore match with Big Show and Raven for the hardcore championship. A very comedic match. If you want to laugh, go watch that match. That's a hilarious match. I've watched it numerous times. WrestleMania 17, Kane versus Big Show versus Raven. Then WrestleMania 18, he has the one-on-one match with Kurt Angle. A match that was all centered around the fact that Kurt Angle was going to make Kane tap. And then at WrestleMania 19... In um, in Seattle in 2003, Kane wasn't even on the card. And he was on Sunday Night Heat in a tag team match against, I believe I want to say it was the Un-Americans. And this was right around the time when he was tagging with Rob Van Dam. And this, <clears throat> pardon me, if you remember correctly, was the first WrestleMania that there was a brand split in place. It was the first WrestleMania that you had a Raw side and a SmackDown side. And when Kane went over to Monday Night Raw, he almost like instantaneously got shot down to the, um, the tag team division, which was okay. But Kane always felt like he could do more. And that's what happened in the summer of 2003 when he unmasked. And when Kane unmasked, he probably went on the best run of his career. The most important, at least, where he felt the most relevant. His unmasking in, I believe I want to say it was June 2003, all the way until WrestleMania 20, when he has his second clash with The Undertaker, was probably the best run and most relevant run of Kane's entire career. And the crazy thing is, he didn't even win a championship in that picture, in that um in that period and his initial run you know he has the program with uh shane mcmahon the first ever rivalry i covered on this show and that it featured a match a last man standing match at unforgiven and it culminates at an ambulance match at survivor series 2003 but there was also another very important thing that happened at survivor series 2003 during the match of Mr. McMahon versus The Undertaker with the stipulation of Buried Alive.
Undertaker blown off the motor by that explosion. Kane is helping Mr. McMahon out of the grave. What the hell expected Kane out here? Mr. McMahon is crawling down the ladder. Yeah, what did Kane just tell Mr. McMahon? He just hold him something. Kane told Mr. McMahon to climb into that loader. I can't believe it. I gotta believe the Undertaker's unconscious. After that explosion, Kane's from Raw. I mean, you know, it's Undertaker's brother, but he's switching out. I cannot believe what's going on here. An explosion. Got the Undertaker out of that, that motor. I believe the Undertaker was knocked unconscious. Remember, well, there's no disqualifications, no count out, so doesn't matter who injects himself in, I guess, in this match. But that's the Undertaker's own brother. That sick monster, Kane, Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. McMahon to the hospital tonight. Yeah, Miss McMahon is in that payloader, and that thing's going up. That that basket, as they call it, that shovel. Wait a minute. It's full of dirt. I can see the camera. Get, there it is. Oh, my God. The Undertaker has been buried alive. And that fast track came right back to the top of the mountain in terms of relevance in WWE. And as I mentioned, Kane was on Raw, Taker was on SmackDown, and this really set them on a collision course for WrestleMania. And along the way, we had several cool moments, most notably, you know, Kane in the Royal Rumble where Undertaker's gong hit. And then it turns out to be Spike Dudley just playing mind games with Kane the entire way through. And this ultimately leads to arguably the biggest return in the history of WrestleMania.
And that, if that doesn't give you goosebumps, <laughs> I don't know what will. And as Undertaker gets into the ring, you know, there's that classic shot of Kane, like, saying, you're not real. And then he closes his eyes and he's reaching out to touch uh, the Undertaker to see if he's actually real and everything, and then the the brawl starts. And this was a um, not the greatest match in the world, but it was a damn cool one to see because of the significance that it had with the Undertaker returning as the Dead Man. And this is when I think we all knew that the Undertaker was back with a vengeance, and how it ends really put a, st a stamp on the fact that The Undertaker was back in a significant capacity. Down, pulling themselves vertically, and another right hand by a woman up from that. Really, really found its mark on the, on the dead man by Kane. Nobody there. Oh, my God. A runaway train.
And just like that, The Undertaker gets back in the win column at WrestleMania, and I believe this was the one that made him go 12-0. and 0. And once again, with Kane on Raw, Undertaker on SmackDown, this rivalry goes dormant for a few years. Kane ends up back over on SmackDown, I believe it is in 2006, 2007, he goes back to SmackDown. They have a nice reunion tag team match against MVP and Finley, of all people. Or was it Mr. Kennedy? It was MVP and either Kennedy or Finley that they tagged against. And um, they eventually have another rivalry in 2010 where the Kane is trying to figure out who attacked his brother. And it turns out to be Kane. And then it ends up them clashing in uh, Hell in a Cell for the World Heavyweight Championship. And then the few times after that in the later years where they tagged with one another. But like I said, much like last week, you cannot completely cover everything unless you have three, four hours set outside with Kane and The Undertaker. You know, I didn't even really touch on Paul Bearer. And Paul Bearer's role in this rivalry and program and story and relationship, however you want to phrase it, was so crucial and integral to getting this this entire saga of a taker and kane over with the crowd you know he was their dad then he was only kane's dad then he was a stepdad i could even keep track at the end what exactly was paul bear's relationship to both these guys and you know when he was with kane he'd wear the red suit with taker he would wear the black suit and with kane i believe he would go to blonde hair it was just he played such a great visual role and i mean of that generation well he was that generation's paul Heyman as the best manager but uh, like i said the best story wwe has ever told kane versus the undertaker and along the way they didn't just fight against one another they also had matches where they fought alongside each other but anyway guys that's all i got for you today i hope you enjoyed kane versus the undertaker as always you can get me on twitter at adamarco25 you can get matt on twitter at wrestling underscore audio or you can email him at real podcast at gmail.com anyway guys stay safe out there and i'll talk to you next week thanks for listening to the wwe podcast don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a show or head to wwepodcast.com and for all of these shows ad free head over to patreon.com slash wwe podcast until then we'll see you next time